Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Things Crime. I am excited this morning, have an amazing guest, and it's not too often that we get guests with the national exposure and the expertise of Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, but here she is, and so welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, Betsy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I mean, there is just a plethora of things to talk about when we talk about all things crime. Isn't that the truth? And so you said you just got back from a meeting last night, and so we appreciate you making time for us. And then you were saying this morning that you also have like a a video cast. So why don't you tell us about that? Absolutely. So it's called the NPA Report. It's on Thursday mornings at, depending on the time zone, 9 or 10 Eastern. And it's on Pluto. It's on streams on the first TV, which is Bill O'Reilly's streaming network. And then it sits on our YouTube page. Or you can go right to nationalpolice.org and see all of our episodes. And I've had incredible guests like Sheriff Mark Lamb and Sheriff Grady Judd, and I've had pro law enforcement celebrities. My first guest of next year will be a CBS reporter named Liz Collin, who was the weekend anchor in Minneapolis. And she happened to be married to a police lieutenant with Minneapolis PD, who was the union president. And she was basically set aside for two years after the death of George Floyd just because of who she was married to and because she wouldn't buy into the anti-law enforcement rhetoric that was rampant in the media. So tune in and see what Liz has to say and all my other guests. Oh, that's awesome. By the way, I don't know if you're still in touch with Sheriff Lamb, but I saw the tragedy that his family is going through. And so I hope he knows our thoughts and prayers are with him. He truly does. He and his wife, Janelle, have, in fact, Janelle posted last night just expressing the incredible outpouring of love from the law enforcement community and from the community in general. I just got back from Turning Point USA's AmeriFest. We, the National Police Association was a sponsor. And of course, Sheriff Lamb was going to be on stage during that. But this horrible tragedy, the death of his son and granddaughter and the critical injury of his daughter-in-law are what they're focusing on right now. And they have, they are a family, the Lambs are a family of faith and they'll get through this, but it's unthinkable for any parent or grandparent. Oh yeah. Jeez. Well, like I said, we're praying for him and anything else we can do, of course, we'd love to do for him. And on that note, I'd also like you to make sure and convey our thoughts and prayers are always with all the law enforcement out there. And, you know, the last few years have just been, if you sit back and objectively look at what, especially the law enforcement community has gone through in the last couple of years, it's just like, it's just insane. I mean, they went from, I, you know, I'm a huge action movie guy and I love like that movie, uh, The Patriot, it starred uh, Mark Wahlberg and about the Boston bombings. But, you know, just that movie, it shows some clips of, you know, actual footage at the very end of that movie. And 
it shows how once that Boston bomber was captured and the city was released and because prior to that, it was all sorts of, I, I can't imagine the anxiety that was within the city of Boston. You know, they knew that some terrorists had not only exploded the marathon, but you know, they were out shooting cops, they were out shooting other people and stealing cars and yeah, you know, it's just horrible. And then once they, once Boston PD caught them, they said they were like celebrities, you know, were invited to the Boston Red Sox and, you know, they were Boston strong and all these amazing stories were coming out of that. Well, you think about, you go from that atmosphere and that dedication to the police and they're like, the police are heroes to all of a sudden the entire police community is basically ostracized and they're all evil. And, you know, because it started with the George Floyd incident and it's like, hold on. You know, these are the same men and women who were protecting us the day before the George Floyd incident. And, you know, yes, that was a horrible incident, but you don't condemn an entire community, you know, 800, what is it? Seven, 800,000 law enforcement officers based on the actions of one. Well, and that's something we talk about a lot. That's why the National Police Association exists, quite frankly. You know, law enforcement officers, those of us who were on the job after 9-11-01, remember just the incredible outpouring of support for our profession. And then you talk about the Boston bombings. You know, that was such an incredible event. We were able to go there a year after and get it by some of the law enforcement officers involved because that was a really, uh, that was a team effort of city cops, a state, local, suburban, federal. And we took a tour of that whole area and that I was able to talk to a woman who basically gave up her home to be the command post for where the ultimate shootout took place and she was just she talked to me and you know it's just it's so interesting because what she said was you know i left my dog with those police officers you know they're in the middle of the shootout they're running the command post in my home i just left and she said the last thing i said when i left was will you please take care of my dog and she said those cops fed their dog took him out for walks absolutely everything in the middle of all this chaos and death and mayhem and she was so grateful law enforcement. That's the law enforcement that America knows. There's 750,000 police officers in this country, and that number is dwindling. You know, we can talk about that. We have record resignations, record retirements, and a real recruitment crisis. But here's the thing. We're in the middle of a war on cops right now, and that's something that we all need to focus on at the end of the year. We've got about, what, a week and a half left this year, and we've already seen 323 police officers shot in the line of duty, 60 of them shot fatally. And, you know, we're going to have about 60,000 police officers assaulted this year, and deaths by gunfire are up 23% from 2019. So really, since the death of George Floyd, the war on cops that started in 2014 under Barack Obama's tutelage, the war on cops is raging and we've got to do some things to stop it. Yeah, it's hard to underemphasize. Well, no, it's hard to overemphasize, if I say this correctly. The policies of government at every level and the attitude that they put out 
toward their law enforcement, toward firemen and toward military, toward all of our first responders is incredible that influence that they can have over the public's attitude toward that. And I think when you think about the mastery of like George Soros, that guy, personally, I think that dude's just evil. But him backing some of these district attorneys in different areas, and I don't know if he's, you know, if he's got one in Phoenix or where you're in Arizona, wherever you're at, but. Um, right in Tucson, in Pima County, Arizona, we have a Soros installed prosecutor. And guess what? The Tucson, where Pima County is the most dangerous city in Arizona. It's funny how that seems to work out, right? Right. You look all over the place where these just leftist DAs are, and it's crazy. They're like, it's a revolving door. So every uh, police officer that I talk to, they're saying the ink isn't even dried on their paperwork. And the person that they arrested, and sometimes for a heinous, they're back out on the street. Right. There's a movement in this country, again, that's been happening for several years. It's called procedural justice. And basically... What procedural justice means is that instead of Lady Justice wearing that blindfold, right? That's what's supposed to, you know, in the United States of America, our justice system is supposed to look at individuals and their crimes. We are not supposed to care about the race, the color, the sexual orientation, any of that. What procedural justice says is that we are supposed to look at the criminal and what sort of issues he or she have had in their lifetime and judge them based on that. So let me give you an example that I've read in some of their paperwork that me, a middle-aged white woman, if I am sexually assaulted by a young African-American man, and if, and it's assumed that I was raised in privilege because I'm a white middle-aged female, I was not, but that's already assumed. And a young African-American man, they assume even though that's not the case, has been raised in poverty, that his punishment is supposed to be lesser because of my privilege. That's basically procedural justice. So now we have these George Soros installed DAs, and that's not hyperbolic. That is absolutely the truth. George Soros, he wrote an op-ed, I want everybody to remember, early, way early in 2022. He wrote an op-ed saying, yep, that's exactly what I want. I want these woke prosecutors because he wants prisons emptied and what he really wants is a chaotic society so that then people like him and his ilk can come in and take over our society. So these woke DAs in places like Portland, Seattle, LA, San Francisco, although San Francisco was able to get rid of Chesa Bowden, Cook County, Illinois, where I'm from, and of course, Manhattan in New York City and Austin, Texas, one of the worst. What they do is they support this atmosphere of lower or no charges. In Cook County, in Chicago, Illinois, last year, we had a video of multiple videos of a gang fight involving firearms between two groups of gang members. And the woke DA there, Kim Fox in Cook County, said, you know, I'm not going to charge anybody because it was mutual combatants. That's absurd. And the left loves to talk about gun crime and gun control, but they don't want to actually follow the gun laws in this country. And that is why you are seeing 
this horrible uptick in crime and this war on cops by these woke prosecutors and by some of the political left, it doesn't just affect cops. Who does it ultimately affect? Citizens, the citizens that we are trying to protect. So we need our citizens to step up and learn about what's happening and then get loud about what they want to see. Remember, prosecutors are elected officials. Absolutely. And the citizens that are most affected and the first affected are the most marginalized. And so you have these neighborhoods where the cops are trying to clean them up, and yet they're pulled out of those neighborhoods first. And so the crime just festers. It's almost like a cancer that starts in these marginalized neighborhoods, and then it just radiates out from there. And like I was just talking to a retired NYPD cop, and he was talking about that the dude had been arrested like 16 or 17 times, and yet they found him in Robert De Niro's home. And so (laughs) it's like, oh, you know, the, you know, well, that's one of those chickens are coming home to roost kind of thing. It's like, well, it's reaching a point where the crime is so out of control and the criminals are becoming so brazen that they'll even go into homes. I can't imagine the security system, the neighborhood itself, I'm sure is very secure. And yet this seasoned criminal was able to get into Robert De Niro's home while they were there. That's even the more brazen part. <laughs> so, Well, that's the thing. We're living in a society now where there really is limited respect for property, for property rights. And again, this is based on this atmosphere of procedural justice, where if I have a home and I you know, want my doors locked and I want everything to be secure, somehow that's not fair. Now, the whole Robert De Niro thing I find amusing because he's as far left as you can get. And I find it interesting that he is the first one to preach all of this far left rhetoric. And I'm sure, you know, they were calling 911, whoever discovered this crime and wanting the police to come immediately, even though he doesn't particularly support American law enforcement. And that's the problem. You're seeing, you know, people like Hollywood and far left wealthy politicians, you know, they love to vilify American law enforcement until they need us. And then they're the first to call 911 and demand that we are there immediately. We just, we saw this all the time in Portland and Seattle, where you had all these politicians who said, oh, we got to get rid of the police. We can't have the police until something upset them. And then they're first to call 911 and demand that we come and do their bidding. Oh, yeah. Well, these guys, you put these guys in front of a microphone and they're all these tough guys that can beat their chest. And then when it actually comes down to it and the rubber meets the road and somebody's in their house and might be affecting their family. I just I think of all the movies that Robert De Niro's been in and how he's always this, you know, tough guy, gangsta. And yet I guarantee you he was cowering underneath his desk waiting for the police to show up. You know, there's two worlds going on here. There's the real world, which is what he finally experienced. And then there's this fantasy land. And we see that, you know, we see that from far left politicians too, where you see people like Representative Cori Bush out of Missouri. You know, she has spent tens of thousands of dollars on private security, even while she constantly shouts to defund the St. Louis police force. When her city, St. Louis, is the number two murder capital in this country. Ilhan Omar 
is constantly talking about reimagining the Minneapolis Police Department. But yet, what does she do? Hire off-duty cops to be her private security. All, you know, AOC is another one. She's an anti-law enforcement politician who has her own private security. And of course, you know, great locks and alarm systems. And she loves to talk about how frightened she was on January 6th and how she was waiting for the police to come save her. But she doesn't want anyone else to have that kind of security that she is allowed. It's very classist, if that's a word, you know, this political elitist class and this Hollywood elitist class who wants to be secure. But then when you go into poor neighborhoods or the working poor or homeless people, they don't really care about the safety and security of those people. Oh, it's all the Marie Antoinette thing, you know? What's good for me is and not for thee. And it's exactly I grew up in kind of, you know, lower middle class in Idaho. And I'll tell you, nobody hated that more than actual working people. But back then, you know, when we were growing up, it was just kind of like, whatever, you know, just don't bother me. And just you go do your thing and just leave me alone. Well, the problem is they won't just leave you alone. You know, eventually they have to impose their values on you and you're almost looked down upon to the point that can't work. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.